Hello, bookworms. Welcome to The Best Book Ever, the podcast where I get to know interesting people by asking them about their favorite books. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and today I'm talking to Carol Yee, a lover of books and a lifelong world traveler. Carol's best book ever is The World Unseen by Shamin Sarif, a slim book full of political, racial, sexual, and gender tensions about Indian women who fall in love in 1950s apartheid-era South Africa. And despite all of those themes, this book still manages to be tender and lovely and uplifting. I know you're going to love it. Hi, Carol. Welcome to the Best Book Ever podcast. Hi, Julie. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you. In your bio, you say that you and I'm going to quote this here because I really like it. I'm a lifelong traveler who will go miles out of my way to eat at a recommended restaurant <laughs> or visit an obscure cultural site. First of all, as someone who has done that, driven miles off the highway so that I can get to a little taco truck somewhere or food <laughs> cart somewhere <laughs> that no one else has heard of. I'm a big fan of that kind of travel. I want to ask you about your traveling life. How did you become so curious about the world? I think it was my parents, my father in particular. He had done a lot of reading as a child, read, you know, about Timbuktu and Central Asia and everything. And I think he just kind of infected me. Um, and my first uh, plane ride was to Disneyland. I lived in, in the San Francisco Bay Area, went to Disneyland and fell in love with It's a Small World. And I think that was it. <laughs> and you were sunk. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. And did you, is that how you became a reader yourself? Did you inherit your dad's love of reading? Yeah, I think both of my parents loved to read and we were always at the library. I remember, you know, as a kid curling up and telling my mom, oh, just one more chapter, one more chapter. You know, I mean, I don't. I don't remember the first book, but I think they've, they were always around. I was probably read to as a child and then started reading on my own. So um, I love books. Um, as you can see from um, can. behind me, I have tons of books in my house. You travel for work and for pleasure. Is this correct? Yes. Which one do you like better? Both. Because <laughs> I travel to different places. For work, I travel to kind of obscure, dangerous places. So I've been to Afghanistan and to, you know, um, uh, West Africa, Mozambique, Cambodia, China, Philippines, you know, those types of places for work. And then when I travel for pleasure, I tend to go to Tuscany or Iceland or, you know, I mean, so I, I get the best of both worlds. Is there... A type of travel that you like? I mean, I can't imagine that you're the type of person who likes an all-in-one resort where, you know, there are the food buffets every day. Or do you? Is that your kind of travel that you enjoy? No, I don't like that type of travel. And I'm not your shoestring budget traveler. So, you know, I'm an upper middle class, you know, professional. So unfortunately, that's the type of travel I like to do. So I stay in nice places. Um, I oftentimes, especially when I'm uh, traveling for work and I oftentimes am by myself, I'll, I'll hire a driver to take me places because I, I'm not the type that I'll just, you know, get on a bus by myself and, and go, you know, into the hinterlands. 
Um, I am concerned about safety, um, but I also want to see things. So I do it the way I can. Um, but I also love to um, go to a place and stay for a while, like in a, an apartment or a agritourism uh, place in uh, Italy, for example, and stay for a couple of weeks so that you can kind of really get to know the place. And it's not just an in and out thing. Um, I was recently uh, saw some book where um, this woman had written about her travels um, and you know, she had gone to 70 countries in like a year or something like that. And that's not the travel I wanted. I want to really learn about the place. I want to meet the people. I want to experience the foods. What has surprised you most about being, particularly being a solo traveler, which is a whole different ball game, I think, than traveling with family or friends? What surprises you about traveling? I mean, you should really have to think on your feet um, because you don't know what circumstances you're going to run into. Um, and sometimes it's perfectly fine, but you know, you, you never know. Um, I was in Moscow for about six weeks at, uh, uh, for work uh, one year, and I wanted to go to St. Petersburg. I mean, <clears throat> that's where you go for, you know, the Hermitage and things like that. But at the time, you had to take a train from Moscow to uh, St. Petersburg. It was overnight. And at that time, thieves were breaking into um, sleeping cars on the train, even if you, you know, tried to lock it and everything. And that that scared me. I mean, I didn't. So to this day, I've never been to St. Petersburg because I didn't feel comfortable enough. And some people, you know, they like, oh, it'll never happen to me. And sometimes it doesn't, but you never know. And I'm a bit more cautious, uh, especially when I'm traveling alone uh, than uh, some people I know. How do your travels influence your reading life? Oh, they go hand in hand. I mean, I, I, Right now during COVID, I mean, obviously you can't travel and I miss it. So what do I do? I read about other places. I watch, you know, Scandinavian murder mystery uh, TV <laughs> series. I watch movie, foreign movies. I listen to foreign music. I mean, they, to me, um, they let me explore the world without le leaving my living room. And so um, even when I travel, I mean, I do a lot of this in either preparation for where I'm going or just to learn about other places. Cause I just love to really learn and experience um, what other cultures are like. And um, oftentimes I go to ethnic restaurants where I live because I can. Um, yes, they may not be exactly like uh, their home country, but I mean, I can get a sense of, of what that food uh, tastes like. So they, to me, reading um, is just another avenue to explore the world. I find that our, what we're exposed to here is in America is very limited to American and often British authors. You know, the bestseller lists are always American and British authors. And it's always so funny to me, not funny, but interesting to me to go to bookstores in other countries and go, there are writers in Scotland. I had no idea that people wrote in Scotland. I thought only Americans wrote. Yeah. <laughs> and so then I come home with a handful of books from Canadians or from Scottish writers or what have you. Um, do you find that traveling a lot also influences the voices of the authors that you choose? Yes. Um, for example, in, in American bookstores, you can't find that many African writers. Mm -hmm. There's a few that you can find that are well-known. 
But if you go to South Africa and you go to the mall and to the bookshop, there's like tons of, of authors you've never heard of. And so, yes, I also bring home a bunch of books, um, you know, from those places. I mean, not all countries like in Afghanistan, you don't go to a bookstore and find Afghan writers. Um, those you'll have to look for, you know, here in America where, you know, you, you kind of, if you're interested in these types of books, you kind of learn about them along the way. Many people don't travel for a lot of personal reasons. Very often it's financial, but it's also because they're afraid of traveling alone or afraid of bringing children to certain places. They don't know other languages. They can't figure out how they would get a car. So they say, no, no, I'm going to stay here in my hometown. Um, what are your recommendations for becoming a citizen of the world when there are those kinds of resistances? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting because many of the people I know, we will get on a plane anywhere, any day. Mm -hmm. You want me to get on tonight? I'll, I'll pack my bag and go to the airport. But there are, are a lot of people that are hesitant. Um, um, and they're, it amazes me because it's like, why aren't you interested as well? You know, I mean, I don't understand it. But then it's like, okay, it's true. They may be afraid. They may not be comfortable. Um, they may not know where to go. They may not know how to do anything. And actually, I wrote a book called Welcome Back to Abuja Once Again, How I Became a Citizen of the World that was published in December of last year. Um, that is part memoir, and it talks about the different places I've been to, and um, it talks about food and different cultures and you know technology, how, how it's uh, changed and evolved over the years. But it's also a book to try to make these people, the people that are less comfortable about traveling, especially overseas, but even in the U.S., make them more comfortable about how they can prepare and uh, get to be comfortable enough to get on the plane. So a lot of it is, you know, exactly what we're talking about. It's reading from your living room. It's it's getting books about not just travel books, um, you know, I mean, travel guidebooks, but, you know, books about um, uh, the history of a place or the or literature about from that place. Um, it's also looking at TV programs and movies and things like that to just try to get more comfortable about a foreign foreign country so that you can get on a plane. And you know, if your first trip you want to go on a tour, that's fine. It doesn't matter how you do it. But I believe that for most people, not everybody, because I have an uncle who, you know, hated to travel and would never travel, even though my mother would jump on a plane at any time, um, that once they start traveling, they're going to get the travel bug. And yes, they may only ever go to Europe. They may never go to, you know, Southeast Asia, for example, because that's too foreign to them. But just getting out of their home environment will um, expose them to different things and, and change how they view um, both America and the world. What what prompted you to write the book? Um, I actually started writing the book um, maybe about eight years ago. I happened to be working for a company who had had projects internationally, but the the genesis of the company was very domestically oriented and. I wanted to provide my um, some of my colleagues at that company with a way for them to be more comfortable working in the international world. 
because some of them were very, they had never gone overseas or worked overseas. So it was trying to find a way to make them more comfortable about working overseas, um, not let alone traveling overseas. I wanted to um, show what it is like to go to a foreign country, uh, someplace you may not have been to and, you know, get plopped in and, you know, work there for two or four or six weeks. Um, and how you have to interact with people, people who may be very different from you. You know, when you're in a Muslim country, the men might not shake my hand as a woman. Um, and initially I was very offended by that. You know, I was a young woman that's like, how dare you not shake my hand until you start understanding more their culture and their religion and that they weren't being, um, they weren't a, a, offending. I mean, they were offending me, but they it was part of their culture that, this is how they had to act. And I needed to accept it if I wanted to be in their culture because I was now a guest in their culture. It wasn't like they were here, you know, in America and they were guests. So I, when you travel, you are a guest in their culture, whether you're in Paris, you know, um, you don't want to be trying to be the loud American demanding things because you are in another culture and they do things differently. So, mm-hmm. and so I started working on the book, but I didn't get very far. And, you know, as you said, life intruded and things like that. But last year, I got into a program uh, through Georgetown uh, called the Book Book Creators Program. And within a year, um, I was able to uh, publish this book uh, through you do book creators for about five months. And then you they had a sister organization called New Degree Press, and they're uh, the ones that actually published the books. So that took about another five or six months. Oh, how interesting. I've never heard of that before. Whether they read a book a day or a book a year, I love asking people to tell me about their favorite books. And that includes you, dear listener. What's your all-time favorite? Your Desert Island Classic? What about the childhood favorite that you still know by heart? The mystery that took you by surprise? The biography that changed your way of thinking? Or the book club favorite that you can't stop thinking about? I'm looking for guests from all walks of life to talk to me about all kinds of books here on the show. Go to my website, juliewroteabook.com, and click on the button that says, Be a Guest on the Best Book Ever. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. Now, back to the show. Carol, do you remember how you found um, this book that we're talking about today, The World Unseen by Shamim Sarif? Um, I believe I found um, the movie first. Um, Oh, okay. He has... Um, well, she's done several movies now, but she has two movies. This one, The World Unseen, um, that takes place in South Africa um, in the um, 1950s. And she has another book um, called, a movie called I Can't Think Straight. And what's interesting is in the movie, the two actresses in The World Unseen are the same actresses in I Can't Think Straight, but their roles are reversed. One is more docile in one movie and one is more aggressive. And in the other movie, they reverse the roles and the docile one is now the more um, outgoing one and the, the outgoing one is more docile. I watched the movie and then I had to, to uh, read the books and I just love both of the books, but 
the world unseen to me was so interesting. And this is what I find about um, books and, and reading is you can um, dive into a culture and a time and a place and learn so much about what life was like at that particular point, because I was not in South Africa in the 1950s. I mean, the first time I went to South Africa was, you know, around 2012 or something like that, you know. I, I knew about apartheid, obviously, but I didn't really know how it affected day-to-day -day life. I didn't know anything about the Indian community in South Africa, even though I knew there were Indians there. I didn't know anything about the what they call the colored community, which we will find offensive, but is actually, you know, um, people of mixed races. Uh, they're not neither Indian nor that are they white, um, and then how a, a gay person, we assume she's the main character's gay, even though they don't exactly reveal that, but you can gather from uh, her actions and what she, um, how she does things that she's gay, how a gay person grows up as an independent woman in a traditional Indian culture, in a repressive South African culture, and how she makes her way, and how she can um, be a, um, a role model to others around her. So all of those different aspects was just fascinating to me because it revealed something that I had no idea about, but it revealed it in a way that I was right there with Amina and Miriam as they uh, conducted their lives. There's a scene at the beginning of the book where um, white cops are yelling at Jacob, who is in a cafe and they're yelling at him that um, blacks aren't allowed at the whites counter. And he says, I'm not black, I'm colored. And then the Indian woman, Amina, who co-owns the cafe, she says, there aren't whites here. Look around. We're all Indians. And I thought that scene was so good because it highlighted the complexity of this color system that is set up that when the, when Jacob said, I'm not black, I'm colored. And the cop goes, oh, okay, you're fine then. And I started thinking if we lived in a world where apartheid had never happened and where, for example, slavery and uh, segregation and mass incarceration hadn't happened in our country. Like if, suppose we had never dealt with those things. Um, I'm a fiction writer. And if I sat down and wrote that out, <laughs> That there's a country where, well, if you're black, it's this rule. But if you're colored, it's this rule. All of my fiction writing friends would say, this is nonsense. This is crazy. You've gone too far. Like, it's too, it's too weird. Humans don't act like that. Yes. And see, I mean, if we hadn't read this book or watched the movie, we wouldn't have any clue about it. Right. And so we, too, would say, well, no, there's no way there could be a, a place like that. But now that we've been exposed to it, we, we have a better understanding and we see how it affects people and still affects people to this day, right? Even though apartheid is gone. I mean, you know, you talk about Jacob. I mean, he's this, you know, very um, upright, um, quiet man. And he likes the postmistress who's white. And why can't these two older people have a relationship and, you know, companionship, but it's not allowed because one's white and one's colored. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, you can read about this intellectually, 
but to see how it plays out. And I suggest you watch the movie now that you like the book. Yeah, see I will. how it plays out in terms of how he feels, how the the postmistress feels, and you know, I mean, it's just sad. It's like these two people are just attracted to each other; they just want to be together, and, you, and they can't. And that they have to navigate such narrow passages. The fact that he has to stop and say. I'm not black, I'm colored, whatever that means. I, that means mixed race, right? Yeah. In, in At the time in South right, Africa. Right. They actually still use the term colored now. Oh, no it's kidding. Like, yeah, because, I mean, it's not America, right? So yeah, in their yeah. world, it's okay because it is another shade of brown, right? Okay. So you have the whites still, you have the Indians still, and you have the black people, and then you have these mixed race people, which are in a different category, so they call them colored. Okay. And and as an American, when we read about this or we go to Af- uh, South Africa and see it, we're like appalled, but, you know, this is what they say. And so in my book, I talk about colored, and I knew that people would be upset by it, so I had to put a note in about why I use the word colored and what it means. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's another one of those cultural differences that, that I thought she did so well, just putting us in the middle of, and it just made me understand the emotional toll, I think, of having to navigate that all the time. Right. Sounds exhausting. And even Amina, who there's some hint that maybe, um, well, it's not a hint, but it's sort of a rumor in the community, but then we find out that it's true that she does have a black person in her heritage and I just thought that watching these characters navigate these rules god it was just exhausting and I mean terrible goes without saying yeah and and, I mean okay we're reading fiction here but that's what real people had to do day in exactly here for years yeah yeah and this is the power of good fiction I also liked, I, given that this is a book podcast, I have to bring this up, how the relationship between Amina and Miriam sort of hinges on the exchange of books. I was very charmed by that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought that was an absolute delight. And, it, and I liked especially the one scene where Miriam sends a book to Amina because she has no way to get to her and the author sort of the book is Little Women, which is a beloved book, and it sort of follows the journey of the book, which kind of got held up at the post office for a while, and then the postmistress spilled ink on it, and I was just very charmed and moved by the power of the, the case of books in the basement and that kind of thing. It was It was a nice little addition. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of the reviews of this book that I read, they call this a lesbian romance, but I'm not really sure I would call it that, um, especially given the sort of ambiguous ending. Um, what what would you call the genre of this book? I mean, I think it became a lesbian romance because we wanted it to become, to be a lesbian romance. I mean, you know, at the time it was published, there still wasn't a lot of lesbian books out there. So whenever you found one, even if it was a hint, (laughs) you globbed onto it. And so I I think that's why it became ended up being a lesbian romance, because we wanted it to be. 
That's another thing she was very good at is the tension, the buildup of tension in very, very small, subtle events that happen in these characters' lives. And I found myself just turning the pages as fast as I could because I had to see, oh, God, I was so afraid of what was going to come of everything. But it's interesting, you know, like her and other authors, I mean, you know, she's not writing about, you know, startling, bang, bang, chase Mm -hmm. things, but yet you want to just keep reading. I mean, I think when I got the book, I think I read it in a night. Um, maybe two days, but it's just, I couldn't put it down either. And it's just, you know, everyday life that they were living through, but yet she made it that you want, just wanted to keep reading and we're sad when it ended. <laughs> so have you read other books by Shamin Sarif? Yes, I have. I think I've read all of her books. Um, oh, she have has, you? Yeah, she has three adult books. Um, like I said, I can't think straight and, um, the world unseen. And the other one, I always forget the name of it's, it's a little different. It's still about a lesbian, but it's about Russia, um, and, um, spies in Russia and they come to the U S I mean, I don't know how she ended up doing that because with the other two, I, I, you know, she's of Indian heritage and her partner is of Palestinian heritage. And so, you know, I mean, you, you can understand where those two stories come from. And then she actually has two young adult books um, that are like spy thrillers uh, with a group of um, um, middle-aged women who are running these young women as spies and, um, they they go well, they're they're kind of the Robin Hood types. They're gonna you know help save women around the world, and those are really interesting too. One's called the Athena Protocol, and I can't remember what the other one's called. But I love her writing. I mean, and I I just find it fascinating, and I I get drawn in. And you're also working on a book for young people now, aren't you? Yes, I'm working on a book uh, with the working title, Andy Wong, Cultural Whisperer. And what I wanted to do, it's for, it's a middle grade book. So young readers, eight to 12. And what I wanted to do was take some of the themes of Welcome Back to Abuja once again, how I became a citizen of the world and make, turn it into a story for young people. So it's about a little Chinese American girl who has a friend who's, um, he's a Palestinian American boy. And then a white girl from the Midwest happens to move in next door and it's trying to expose Karina, the white girl, to new cultures and new foods. And um, Karina is a bit hesitant because she grew up in a fairly uh, small town that's mainly white, although there are Native Americans or American Indians there as well. But she doesn't really see them until she starts studying other cultures and learning about other places. Um, so it's the journey of um, what... Andy, uh, um, and her name is Andrea. She goes by Andy. Um, what she is passionate about is learning about the world and wanting to share that with everybody around her. So she can't understand it when Karina is not interested. And, you know, she's taking it on as a mission to expose um, Karina. So Bassam and, and Andy work together in terms of getting uh, Karina to um, be interested and curious about the world. I love how so much of your exploration of the world is based around food. 
<laughs> yeah, anyone that knows me says, of course, it has to have food. What's your most interesting food travel experience? Um, I was, when I was working in the West Bank in Gaza, um, we were went to a um, Palestinian farmer's house for lunch. And so um, we all had to sit on the floor and the wife brought out this big, huge silver platter that was just full of lamb and rice and it had yogurt sauce on it and everything. And we had to sit on the floor and eat with our hands this rice and lamb. And um, it was just wonderful, obviously, um, because it was home cooked and everything. And they probably just slaughtered the lamb. And then afterwards, um, you probably know Turkish coffee, um, the yes. very strong coffee. Well, um, most of the time when you have Turkish coffee, they put a lot of sugar in it. But after a heavy meal like that, they serve you Turkish coffee with no sugar. And it's like, can raise hair on your chest, but that's what they do after eating such a heavy meal. So after this huge lamb meal, then they came out and served us this unsweetened uh, Turkish coffee. And that's probably the most memorable meal I've ever had. And did you, did you drink at all the coffee? Well, they, they come in little cups, but yeah, I did because that was a thing to do and I didn't want to offend anyone. Okay. Here's my question about Turkish coffee. I've only had it once at a Turkish restaurant and I was too shy to ask the rules, but the cup that I had, had a good half inch of grounds at the bottom. We call it sludge. Do you, do you drink that part? No. Okay. I did not know. So I took my little spoon and I just ate it. And I was like, this is awful. This sludgy stuff. I don't think I slept for a week after that. No, you, if you read Welcome Back to Abuja once again, you'll learn how to drink Turkish okay. coffee. Then you, you drink it till you, you start feeling like a grittiness in your, on your tongue because you're getting towards the sludge. And then you and put then it you down. Stop. But what they, they will uh, tend to ask you if you're in a restaurant that um, is more traditional, they'll ask you how sweet you want it. And so I never, because when I drink re- uh, American coffee, I drink it black. Uh-huh. But when I drink Turkish coffee, it's like, no way am I going to drink a black unless I have a huge slam meal beforehand. So I always <laughs> say medium because I don't know. I don't want it too sweet, but I don't want it too not sweet. So I just say yeah. medium and whatever comes out. Because a lot of times what I do overseas is different than what I do here. Carol, will you tell my listeners, what are you reading these days? What's on your nightstand? So actually, because I'm writing this middle grade book, I've been reading a lot of middle grade um, books. And so right now, in fact, we are talking about um, whether uh, children's books can talk about food or not. I'm reading one called All Four Stars, where this 11-year-old is like a gourmet cook, but because she almost burns down her house when she takes a blowtorch to make creme brulee. <laughs> she's banished from cooking. And so she's going to become a, a food critic, um, which I think is a, it's just, it's fun. I mean, I, I, I don't even want to be on this podcast. I want to be off reading. <laughs> I understand. Um, um, but yeah, that's what I'm currently reading. And it's a, it's a real fun book. Have you read much middle grade or YA before? Or is this a new genre for you? Um, I've read a little bit of YA before, but I really haven't read uh, middle grade. So when I first got back into this, because I was right, I, I, I don't have kids, so I don't know how like 
middle grade people, kids speak or anything. So I thought I better read. But I started off reading things that I had read as a child. So I read, you know, Charlotte's Web and the Mexico Files of Mrs. Besley. Um, uh, I can't remember Frank, her last Frank, name. Frank now, Weiler. Yeah. Frank Weiler, yeah. yeah. But then I realized I needed to read more current stuff. So that's where I've been um, uh, reading a lot. And I've been reading a lot of um, stories by um, um, people of color just because I am trying to uh, write into that genre. So like The Many Meanings of Maylon by Andrea Wong was something I read recently. And that was about a Chinese girl that's plopped into a white town in Ohio and how she had to cope with in, um, being in a white world because she had grown up in Chinatown in, in Boston uh, before they moved here. And her principal name renames her an American name. And then all the kids think she's snotty because whenever they call her name, she doesn't respond because she doesn't know that they're calling her. Boy, that sounds good. I'm going to go get that one. Um, where can my listeners find you and your work? Um, I'm on, um, you can buy my book at Amazon, uh, Barnes and Nobles, Kobo. Um, but I have a website. It's caroljee.com, uh, where you can find out more about me and my book and my upcoming books, as well as um, um, any events that I have coming up. I mean, it's harder now because of COVID because I can't go to bookstores to do book signings, but I've had book launches, uh, virtual ones in the past. And so they may happen again in the future. So caroljee.com. Carol, this has been really a delight talking to you. And I want to thank you for introducing me to this book, which I had never heard of and hadn't come across in my own reading life. And it was really wonderful to read. And I want to thank you. And I would love to have you back anytime you have a book you want to tell me about. Oh, thank you very much. I really enjoyed talking to you. And I'm really glad you enjoyed the book. Thanks for listening, Bookworms. For more information on this episode and links to all the books we discussed, go to our website, bestbookeverpodcast.com. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at bestbookeverpodcast. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and you can find me everywhere as Julie wrote a book. If you loved this episode as much as I loved making it, why not leave a review wherever you're listening? Each review helps new listeners find my work, and I'm so grateful for your help. Thanks for joining me today, and I will see you at the library.